Hi, everyone. Welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your co-hosts, Jess Geyer, one half of Wannabe Games. I'm a tabletop RPG designer, and I am feeling fine today. Not sarcastically. I'm feeling a little, feeling a little under the weather today. How's everyone doing? Hi, Craig, my second co-host. Hi, uh, I'm Craig Campbell. Um, I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I uh, design and publish role-playing games. And... Uh, do some freelancing for other people occasionally as well. And we are here with our special guest co-host, Tyler Amachinsky. I just pronounced uh, Amit, Amit, we just oh, went over it. Amachinsky. Amachinsky. Omachinsky. There we go. Went over Omachinsky. Omachinsky. Everyone's going to know it now. It's <laughs> impossible to spell, but hi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm here from the, I mean, it, it, it is cold here I, I buzzed, i'm put up in a sweater and i'm very jealous of craig's hat i left mine upstairs <laughs> but yeah i've been a freelance designer that i fell into about just under a decade ago now and i bounce around doing all sorts of design work for other people pretty much yeah and it looks like you have a 3d printer behind you i, I do this yes. is excellent podcasting by referring to visuals that i yeah. can see and you can't but I'm, I'm Describe the 3D printer, including dimensions, Jess. <laughs> um, no, I won't. I won't be doing that. <laughs> Paint Tyler. the picture. Theater of the mind, Jess. Oh, good segue. Our first topic. Oh. Oh. That's why. He, that's why they pay him the big bucks. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all, those, all of our advertising dollars. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of Craig, um, well, I was going to ask Tyler. Tyler, what do you make on the 3D printer? Oh, what do I make on the 3D printer? I mean. I, we just moved recently and I have not actually tested it since the move, but mm. it is honestly, it is a lot of minis for role-playing games and parts for board games. That's what I was going to assume, but I didn't want to like out you as a mega nerd or anything oh. yet. Yeah. 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 That, that's what I want a 3D printer for is so I can make minis and things like that. And just, also just, just, just Tyler is on a podcast about designing and shimming <laughs> games i i think the super nerd like we're yeah. we're all copping to it here right that's no. true <laughs> <laughs> no i thought this was about the sports ball oh well no no, no. <laughs> craig craig what is our podcast all about what are we doing today uh we're going to talk about uh tabletop role-playing games specifically in terms of uh, a gming topic uh kind of focusing on gming and then also a game design topic because we're all designers in one form or another we've all designed some things so let's see gming uh i, I hinted at it already um we're going to talk we're going to delve into the idea of theater of the mind or that is to say um playing role-playing games where it's all in your imagination and you're not utilizing maps and minis um you may may or may not i suppose with theater of the mind also you know use handouts just to give somebody the visual representation of something but there's not going to be um something necessarily on the table that you're constantly fiddling with and and um, manipulating during the game um and so uh from the gm's perspective kind of like you know to theater of the mind or not to theater of the mind and uh, and how, like what, what games are good for it? What games maybe not so good? Um, how do you go about doing it? What's, uh, yeah, just talk theater of the mind. I got my start playing theater of the mind. I didn't know that like maps and minis were a thing for a, quite a long time. Um, it had been several years after I started playing um, D&D is the game of choice. Although I played like stuff like cyberpunk as well. 
um, growing up. But uh, we never, we never used maps or minis or anything like that. It was all just our imagination sitting around a table, eating some pizza. Uh, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were poor high schoolers and uh, middle schoolers. We couldn't like afford to go out and buy these things. Um, and the nearest game store was a 45 minute drive at least away. Uh, so yeah, I, I've, I almost always theater of the mind unless I'm playing online. Um, it's just my, my preferred style of play. What about you two? Yeah, so I actually came to it from the opposite direction of like the first thing I got into was one of the early Dungeons and Dragons. I, and I don't even know which one. Like it wasn't even fully explained to me because I would have been eight and it was my cousins playing it and they had gotten like a box set and they had just a bunch of like minis they had scrabbled together, like classic Gygax style of like from the dollar store and from other board games. So I did that for ages before then jumping forward to D&D 4th and then kind of came around to Theater of the Mind from the back end um, through Call of Cthulhu mostly. Oh, that's a, that's a good game to do Theater of the Mind with because there's not a lot of, there's not too much like tracking and things like you mm-hmm. have to do with distance. Um, but yeah. And, I, a, and, and, and with it being Lovecraftian monsters, there's a lot of, you know, the unknowable, unthinkable, right. unimaginable, like just let people imagine what they think is the worst yeah. thing. Because that, right. feed, that feeds the story uh, story tie, uh, story style, the genre. Oh, totally. And it loses something if you're like the whole description and it's like it's undescribable, whatever. Anyways, here's the mini. <laughs> <laughs> here's, the, here's the thing with tentacles. Yeah. No, I, I love the idea. I love the idea of having a map and I've played games where you, you have a map and the distances are important and cover is important. And I love the strategy around that. Uh, but as a GM myself, I have a really hard time keeping track of all of that, especially if it's, if it's not a, an online tabletop, um, cause I've used forge and I've used roll 20, mm-hmm. um, or foundry. I can't remember forge or foundry. They're the same thing, but different. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, like drawing out maps, uh, that it takes so much time. Um, so unless you are making maps and printing them off ahead of time, like redrawing them on those uh, white, like the dry erase or wet erase boards that it's cutting into all this time that you could be spending role-playing. And that's just kind of not my thing. And then I tend to get like too, I I tend to be a little bit of a perfectionist about it. So I get too into it and I want to make it perfect. And that's not, (laughs) that's not really conducive to, to my style of GMing. So um, a lot of times I might have, um, maybe a map or like a oh here here where this coffee cup is this is where the 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 big monster is you guys are here go stuff like that (laughs) um but yeah online tabletop is really really one of the only places i use those maps so well i i feel like um jess you've hit on a, a key point of maps and minis kind of gaming which is that there is there's more prep um, potentially it, even uh, uh, there's either more prep or there's like, you know, winging it at the table where you throw the map down and, and get out a marker and draw, um, which I've done plenty of in my time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then there's also like, when you're running the, the, the game, 
um, anytime there's a combat, and that's the time when maps come out most, right? Is that the, the your players are spending time thinking about well, how, how do I get from here to there and, and have in the movement that I have available? And if I'm going to try some maneuver, can I, you know, do I need higher ground? Does that get me where I want to go? Do I want to get into flanking or gang up on something? And it becomes a, a, a longer process of playing the game. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But for people, uh, if you're looking to run a game, that is going to be a shorter session, this uh, particularly looking at people who just don't have a lot of time, whether that's because they're incredibly busy or, um, you know, just they're older and they just don't, you know, they've got a lot more responsibilities and things in their lives that get in the way that like, I want to just be happy. I'd be happy to sit down every other week for three hours to game and not spend two thirds of it moving minis around yeah, and not, and not be able to get through a story in three hours, which, you know, it can be tough to do if you're, um, if you're using maps and minis, like I think, yeah, like short, any, if you're looking for shorter sessions, um, uh, the, the theater of the mind style play works really well because you can keep it very theatrical. It's like my character runs and takes a jump and gets on, you know, jumps on top of the monster. Mm -hmm. Well, was there an incline? Well, the monster is 15 feet tall. Like, you know, was there an incline to get to who cares? It's just, it's cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> it might as well be a, you know, a Kung Fu movie. And like, <laughs> like look at the character leaps, um, find some way to propel themselves. And you just, you can just describe it and move from there. Yeah, the, the games that work best for the maps and mini style are the ones that do, you know, like like I said, distance tracking, cover, stuff like that. Um, but even those games, you can theater the mind style it. Like if, if you're thinking about the quintessential RPG, you're thinking about Dungeons and Dragons and there are concise rules for um, like where spells go or how far an arrow can shoot or how far your character can run or like how easy it is to hit somebody if you are standing behind a rock um but you can it it just because that there are rules there doesn't mean i mean technically you're you're kind of ignoring them when you go theater of the mind but um you can take those um and just not maps and minis them people do that all the time um i like i said i did that when i was growing up but the games that are most conducive to it are the ones that don't have those kind of crunchier rules they do things like zones instead of distances like this is your zone of control um, a zone of control around you is roughly the area that you could reach within a five foot step and then you have a second area you could move into um or um games where like one room would be a zone or if it's a really yeah. large room it'd be multiple zones so some games um we'll probably talk about more more of that in our in our next topic um but some games um use those kinds of mechanics so you don't have to draw it out and bring out the tape measure have you guys ever played a game where um so i played a game with a friend of mine it was uh savage worlds it was deadlands and uh he had a whole minis set up like a whole town on <laughs> these tables like with with little buildings and everything it was so cool i loved it and we only broke it out for the combat within mm. that town and that like we would we brought out the tape measure to look and see like oh is the angle right and that was it was so much fun but not fun in the role-playing way but in the oh i'm doing fun fun with numbers <laughs> that, that kind of way <laughs> uh it just seemed like so much work without um I don't know, it seemed like so much prep work for just basically one combat have you guys ever played a game like that before or someone serious like that? Um, I've I've had 
I've run some D and D campaigns where we did maps and minis and I had, you know, a couple of dry erase mats. And then I had a bunch of, you know, I bought maps um, that I thought were cool that were, you know, be, that could be used multiple times. Like mm-hmm. they, they could adapt to different things or tile sets, like, you know, cardboard tile sets. Um, and then had a bunch of minis. I even had one group of player, uh, one group of players one year bought me like two cases of the newest um, uh, D&D miniatures line game like, like <laughs> for Christmas. They were like, here you go. <laughs> so we had lots and lots of monsters from that set. So I, I crafted the story. Like, I mean, I got seven Ankegs. Like, we're going to be fighting Ankegs like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Ankegs um, for days. And, and I've, done, I've done the big setup where, like, you know, the big fight at the end where, like, there was, I did a thing where they, they, they came into, the, uh, into my apartment and I had the dining table with a cloth over it. And they saw that and they were like, Craig never has a cloth over his dining table. <laughs> we normally played at the coffee table in the living room and everybody sat in, like, comfy chairs. But we went to the dining table for that game and i pulled off the cloth when we were ready to play and it was a whole duergar cavern thing that i had kind of put together with like every like mini thing that i had that i could make something out of and was including, it including legos and all sorts of stuff oh i was gonna ask if it was 3d yeah yeah it was all three it was and it was all three-dimensional that, that's really cool like for a big battle but it was like a lot that, of work yeah. and but but in that game we did we did even in a in a maps and minis game that you know lean that direction there were plenty of encounters that we did just you know theater of the mind we just imagined it like you're sneaking past the guards into the castle we don't need a big to do (laughs) to 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 do that encounter that's going to be a ideally you know like a quick kind of thing where it's going to be over in a couple of rounds we wouldn't i wouldn't spend the time setting that all up um deadlands um i i uh deadlands is my favorite game of all time um and i've gm'd it a bunch and it's always been theater um never once even though i had i at one point i bought a lot a bunch of those paper minis that they made um and i had some map stuff and there were things that came with box sets and whatnot um i never did uh, do anything with uh um with that uh i think it helped that i tend toward smaller groups oh yeah um and uh you know the, the fewer people that you have the fewer players that you have in the game um the easier it can be to keep track of like who's where what's going on right um, now, now in for some, for some mind, people you have to yeah. you have to keep you have to keep track of it in your head now some if you're a gm that who has like you can keep track of seven people <laughs> and know exactly what they're doing and 10 monsters or bad guys or whatever um then fine go for it like but for me it's like three four players is always kind of ideal um occasionally five um and uh just to be able to keep track of everything um and and only occasionally would I do, um, like big fights where there were a lot of adversaries. Like a lot of times, it would be like, okay, there's going to be several, a few powerful adversaries, so that I have less um, to keep track of. Yeah, less math on your end. Yeah. Uh, the oddly, now I'm thinking about it, the biggest time I ever had like a big setup like that was not for a combat game. It wasn't for a big combat. It was for Modifius's new Alien game. Because, like, going through a ship in those games really lends itself to being very aware of where everyone is geographically. In part yeah. because you get the, um, in typical alien fashion, I can't remember what it is, but you have, like, the one person has, like, the sonar device, basically, which they can ping. And then, as running the game, you just kind of put markers of, like, where movement pieces are. <laughs> so they're like, I don't know what any of those are but there's something and it could be a cat and it could be 
Android, <laughs> it could be a xenomorph, and they have no idea. And it it works really well. And I think part of it is because you are really trying to get a distinct handle on at least two variables, right? Of you're looking at there, you're looking at time and geography. And I and I think that's a big part of it is is how many of these variables do you need to get a very tight grasp on? Yeah, with theater of the mind, um, you do, you have to, like Craig said, you have to keep track basically, but you also have to do a lot of work as a GM to build that atmosphere to really paint a mental picture too. Because when you're, if like you're you're doing that alien game, having like the whole, the whole um, atmosphere feeling confined and trapped in in a labyrinthine ship, that is part of the fun. And you don't know when something's going to pop out at you or where people are. Um, but like that, having the map makes it easier for you as the GM to kind of convey that feel without having to say anything. But when you do theater of the mind, the onus is on you really to help, help the players feel that without Mm -hmm. seeing it. Um, you wonder like what your, your strategies are for painting those kinds of pictures. We've talked a little bit about that before, Craig, in a previous episode, but um, like, how do you, how do you get the feeling for your players? Like, yes, the space is important, although we don't have the space in front of us. Yeah. Oh, totally. That's a great question. So I've been on a kick for about a year and a half now of, I was like, I was teaching RPGs to brand new players. And they're all coming in for 5e, right? Uh, it's it's a lot of it was a lot of teenagers and young kids who've seen whatever on YouTube. And it, and they're, they're big like, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're like, I want to come in and do it. And and it is it 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 forces you to to examine these preconceptions coming in of even if you've played any RPG, it is so much easier to introduce someone to a new one versus this. And I think that's a, that's a good time to examine assumptions because that is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a great part of it, like you said, when you are in theater of the mind and someone doesn't kind of fully, they have not fully grokked into like the more cinematic nature of like, well, I'm behind the corner, so they can't hit me. And it's like, yes, but we're assuming this is all very fast. So when you pop out to shoot around the corner or whatever, that's when they're going to hit you and you cannot both be in perfect cover and capable of attacking another person. It's trying to convince them. Right that it's not Final Fantasy tactics and we're just <laughs> pretending it all. So I, I think that a really big part of it is, uh, like like you said, like really conveying tone. And that I think that sometimes requires some real preparation, uh, especially if you're doing something that is more horror, mm-hmm. um, more investigatory, and it has like those little bits of combat. It, it really behooves you, I think, to have some preparation even if it's just like some some a grab bag of of adjectives to draw from to help reinforce that like this is a twisty labyrinthine place. So when when they get into a time when it, when it kind of matters who's where, everyone has kind of an idea of what this place is like, and you get a lot less of the oh well I thought I was actually here and then I would change that which which can happen a lot more in those theater of the mind things when, when mm-hmm. you can tell that you haven't conveyed what this space is properly. I've, 
I have found it useful to, it, it falls again, like Tyler said, with a, a bit within the tone, like mm-hmm. you can, you can, it, 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 what the genre and the tone of the game is, you can translate that into people's minds um, with how you speak. If they are going to, if the characters are about to be in a really um, action-packed, fast environment that they're going to have to deal with, um, and you want to convey that, like the tempo that you speak, describe everything as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Like you, you walk in here and blah, 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 blah. You know, you, if they miss something, that's because they, they missed the words. Their character missed it with their eyes because now the bad guys are there and they have to do something. Mm. Um, and it conveys all of that. You can... Uh, do a lot with the order of info um, mm-hmm. and hitting senses that aren't always hit. Don't just tell them what they see or hear. Um, I love telling people what they smell in odd um, oh, uh, locations. Like if you're in a dungeon, I absolutely don't want to know. I want to know what that dungeon smells like um, and what it tastes like, because you yeah. sometimes can taste it in the air. Um to, to interject and, really quickly on mm-hmm. that, to yes and, I, I just want a great thing that, that made me think of is a great thing to do is is imagine what the experience would be like if it was pitch black in the room. Oh yeah, mm. right? Because that's so that's a it makes you think of like in that room, am I hearing the fire going? Am I whatever? Yeah. Um, and to speak to the pitch black, just like I'm, I'm got sparked by that as well. I have occasionally, if the characters enter a pitch black room, I have them close their eyes. I have yeah. the players close their eyes. And I, and I describe what they hear. And if I can kind of mimic the sound, I'll do that. And I describe what they smell because that's all they're getting until the lights come on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, getting back to kind of order of the information that you're presenting, um, you know, g- give enough information, um, start with like the general, get more specific. And of course, like, you know, it's a kind of tried and true method that's utilized in, in stories, in story, you know, actual, you know, fiction writing as well is, you know, and then you end it with, and sitting on the throne and hovering in the air and suddenly right behind you, you know, whatever the, the, the most important thing is make it very clear. Um, if you say that there's a suit of armor sitting on the throne, um, in, in, in the first sentence, they're going to be like, oh, there's just like a suit of armor sitting on a throne. But if you have this buildup of this throne room and then you say there's a suit of armor sitting on the throne and the, the, at the end, and then they st- you stop and you look at them and they say, and they say oh, what do you do? Like there's, there's going to be a tendency for the players to assume that suit of armor, that's not just a suit of armor. Oh, of course. Like you save that for the end because it's not just window dressing. That's, that's a ghost wearing a suit of armor or, you know, it's an animated suit of armor or something. Um, word of the wise players if, if you ever have a GM tell you that there's a suit of armor doing anything in any room it is going to attack you at some point <laughs> yeah if it's doing other, anything other than sitting on a rack and even then even then <laughs> <laughs> I, I was immediately like good and that's the distraction they go investigate the suit of armor and that's the distraction because it's just a suit of armor because that's the double twist and I'm just like that's uh, how you do <laughs> yeah steal, steal you- that idea if you've got players, if you've got players that trust you and don't mind it, you can do the trick too. like, do that. Like, you know, give them five descriptions in a row 
uh, with, with an and at the end, and yeah. then you give them in the sixth room, there's an and at the end, and then that thing isn't anything special, and they have to, yeah. like, you slowly creep up on them with something else. Like, they're just, just like the player, just like the players will fall for it, just like the characters would mm-hmm. be going from room to room and picking out the most important thing in the room, and they're right every time. Um, and right. then they get to a room and they think, oh, well, that's, you know, suit of armor sitting on the throne is clearly the thing that's out of place. But no, it's not really what's out of place. What's out of place is the invisible thing that's hiding in the chandelier. Yeah. And back to that, it, it totally depends on tone, right? Of if you're doing something that is more investigatory and more, let, less of like excitement D&D, like we're going to be, we're going to be powerful characters doing powerful things. You're, again, back to my Call of Cthulhu roots. It's very like, you, you almost want to flatten some of the descriptions so it's a little bit of like all right we have like four things and nothing's jumping out to help put them into that cerebral place for those places where there's not a focus yeah one thing that i've done too is like i kind of keep it if especially if it's like investigatory Mm -hmm. keep it flat and then ask what do you want to look at and then build that up Mm -hmm. So oh, you're definitely. not giving everything away, especially if they're if like the whole point of the game is to try to find details. Um, you're not you're not um, doing the the old timey Scooby Doo cartoons where the thing that's about to move is slightly different color than everything else. Yes, uh, <laughs> that always yeah. bothered me as a kid. I was like, I know that wall is going to open up. It's a different color. <laughs> yeah, and video games teach you the same thing. Yep. Um, but yeah, they uh, if it's exploration based scenarios and everything too, yeah, like absolutely go the up, go the other direction. Don't put an emphasis on anything. Um, let them let them sneak around because you can build a lot of tension with them exploring this, exploring that, exploring this, and then eventually they find the thing that makes them go, "Oh, this is the important part." Um, it is worth being sparing with that though, yeah, because it's that that phenomenon of like seven points of data is too much for most people. So like seven things or fewer in each room if you're doing 100% theater of the mind. <laughs> that, that's a good uh, data point there. Yeah. And that's something really easy for you to keep track of too, is like you said, just kind of have a grab bag of adjectives. There's a slimy set of stairs. There's a, a dust on the ground. Mm-hmm. Smells like a fire in here. And you hear a rumbling coming yeah. from the other room. Like Just like little details, um, trying to capture those senses. Um, and, and that works out really well too. I mean, you got five senses, five details or fewer or seven, as you said, or fewer. Yeah, that works out really well. Uh, but people kind of get caught up. Um, theater of the mind doesn't mean it always just has to be 100% in your mm-hmm. mind either. Cause you can do things that aren't maps and minis um, that like kind of still fits into that playing on the atmosphere that's going on in your players' heads uh, by using special sound effects. Um, we, we have a wonderful technology that we can keep in our pockets that can play songs and, and, and sounds. Just playing like, like the drip, drip, drip of a cave can get a lot of that ambiance going or turning the lights down or um, those LED strips of lights that you can change the colors of. Just like little things like that can help build up the atmosphere. Um, same thing goes with like showing special pictures you don't have to have a map of every room but like hey here's the outside of this castle that you're about to explore now you kind of mm-hmm. get the feel there and and the players imaginations will fill in the rest everyone knows what dracula's castle looks like you know <laughs> right that's a good point too you can do um it looks like a typical medieval kitchen except 
So you yes. don't have to describe 20 things. You can just give them like, oh, it looks like the kitchen that we're all used to seeing in, in artwork for, right. mm-hmm. for, for that type of a thing. But there's these unique things so that yeah. it becomes less things to remember. Um, can I tell the candle story? Yeah. Real quick. <laughs> um, this I, I stole this idea from, uh, it was somebody wrote something on the internet way back when the internet was very young, like 92, 93. And I used it in a Deadlands game and I used it in another game. Um, where we played in the evening, it was dark out. I turned off all the lights in the place. Everybody, I got uh, dinner candles, like the tall, thin candles. Mm-hmm. I tested them to see how long it took the one to burn down completely. And it ran oh. about three hours, three and a half hours. Um, and I got everybody a candle and a candle holder. And I put it in front of where they were going to be sitting. And I had two for myself. And we lit the candles. And I said, if your candle goes out, your character dies. And I'm not kidding. And then we played the game. That's terrifying. <laughs> Every time somebody got up to go to the bathroom, candles flickered. Every time somebody cracked a joke and somebody else laughed, candles flickered. It was probably the tensest game I've ever run. Um, and then there was a whole hook at the end where, um, okay, um, you can only do this once with that group, but it was all a dream that they were sharing. And my setup at the end was that I handed out cards after the story was kind of wrapped up and they thought they had defeated the vampire. Um, And I handed out cards to everybody and everybody's card said, scream and blow out your candle. Except for one person whose card said, do nothing. No. (laughs) And while everybody else screamed and blew out their candles, I extinguished my candles. And then we were down to one person and my friend Allie with her one candle going. And I said, uh, in complete darkness, said, Allie, blow out your candle. And she just blew her candle. And I got up and I went to bed. And I didn't I, talk to anybody until the next day. That is, I love that. Jeez, <laughs> that is, oh, that is intense. And I'm over here for my projects for this winter when I'm locked in. It's like, all right, I'm building a gaming table. And I'm like, okay, so LEDs so I can recreate that. <laughs> That's amazing. That would be such a fun Halloween one shot to do. Yeah. And that's basically what it was. It was run right around Halloween time. It was a Deadlands game. It was, you know, which is horror related anyway, but I had specifically vampires. Um, We did, you know, we played it at night and uh, um, everybody that was in the game was like most of the people, most of the players were very into Halloween and everything. So they were totally on board and we all knew each other. We were friends. So they trusted me even when, when I told them that it's like, if your character dies, your character, it's, I'm not kidding. Um, And they did, they did, they, they died in the dream. The vampire got him at the end because they didn't actually kill the vampire. Um, but you can, like I said, you can only do that once. Yeah. <laughs> but there's there's things that you can do like that. You can use props and use things that you can manipulate the environment um, to to get a certain effect out of it. Um, if you've got somebody, if you if you've got a roommate or a brother or sister or somebody that's hanging around, um, and we again, Jess, we got this beautiful technology. You can have you can be like, um, sorry, I got to take care of this, and you text somebody, your roommate's hanging around in the next room, um, have a uh, you know, text them in five minutes, slam the door as hard as you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, or something like it, it can be, and then you, like, you just take the door slamming cue and then you, that, you know, that kicks off something. Right. I, I mean, there's, 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 you, you'd be amazed what you can get away with. Like, again, players that trust you on this sort of thing. Um, Cause you don't want to give somebody a heart attack. Um, <laughs> yeah. Do you know your audience? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, there's, there's ways you can, you can manipulate the environment and things that you can do that will, 
that are in the real world yeah that will that will get people to experience something there are things that you can do physically too like i've i've you know stood up on my chair before i've i've uh, uh like knocked on the table I've, I've done a lot of things like physically to to help you know do the things that words like you pictures worth a thousand words so is an action um like all change, of these things change your too. posture t- change your demeanor uh-huh there are affect, lots of things affect your voice do. all of those things yeah yeah i can't yeah. affect my voice that much i have i have a voice that always sounds like jessica no matter what <laughs> but <laughs> uh <laughs> But there's a lot of fun things you can do. Like, with you know, there's whis- whispering, whispering, even, even if you can't, you know, if you, if you can't do accents and you can't do the, you know, the evil sounding noise, you know, you, uh, just uh, enunciating, whispering, any like all the different modulations of the voice can get uh, can el- elicit different things. Like I said, too, like, the, uh, you know, speed of how, how quickly you slur things together. Don't enunciate. Go the opposite direction. They're. <laughs> So what are the things that you can do as a game designer that aids and abets the theater of the mind process for GMs at the table? Oh boy. I mean, um, go ahead. I was gonna say, I mean, I think that broadly speaking, it kind of divides into two big camps with a lot of gray in the middle, right? Cause I think that there are some games where it's like, you can go either way. Of like, yeah, you could use minis or, you know, you don't have to. And there's some games where they try to go really strictly one way. I think that that, you know, that second camp, it's kind of like, well, you know, you're, you're fighting against type when you do that, right? Like it's it's back to vampire. That is a game that does really well, either as a LARP or more theater of the mind. In my experience, anyways. No, yeah. no, that's one hundred percent true. There's a reason why vampire larps are pretty bare bones. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that there are things that you can do, like if you wanted to design specifically for theater of the mind. I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, um, is not having very strict, like this is the number one thing you can do is to not have very strict measurements mm-hmm. within the game. So. If you are designing a game to be theater of the mind, to be a game that you can sit down wherever, you don't need prep, you don't need whatever. If you have very strict, you have you have to be within 30 feet to hit somebody with this attack kind of thing, mm-hmm. that's probably not going to work out very well. You want to keep the the distances um, or the weights and, and things like that vague, as vague as possible. Mm-hmm. Um Otherwise, you are necessitating the need for like a measuring tape and an app of like a grid. Um, so I really like games that do use zones. Like you have the zone around you, you have a zone that you would have to move a little bit to get to, and then you have a zone that it would take you a whole turn to get to. Or um, there are like like I mentioned before, the room zones. Um, I, I've seen a lot of really good use of, of zones in instead of feet or meters, or or uh, God forbid miles uh, in a game. <laughs> Um, but, uh, that, that's the number one thing that I think a, a game designer should consider if they want their, uh, game to be theater of mind friendly is eliminate the specific, specific, uh, measurement in their games. And the, oh, definitely. The, the strategy kind of stuff. Don't yeah. have to worry about whether or not you're flanking with someone or you have mm-hmm. a higher ground or whatever. So there's, you don't, you're, you're not 
forced to keep track of those things. So you've got more brain space um, in those seven slots um, to keep track of uh, other kind of descriptive things about what's going on. Well, there are, there are games that do say like, okay, you will get a certain amount of points, extra advantage. If you can say the different advantages you have in this situation, like, yeah, remember mm-hmm. I said, there's a lot of rocks in this, in this area. You described that. Right. So I think yeah. that this rocky terrain will help um, by, by giving more vague stuff rather than you have to be positioned in this particular way. You have to be flanking in this particular way. Um, so there are still things that you can do strategic wise, you don't mm-hmm. have to eliminate strategy entirely from your game in sure. order to make it theoretical. But it can right. it can be more general, not right. so specific. Right. Yeah. I, I think also tied to that, there's this sense of you need to be very specific in some of like the underlying rules of how different scenarios work, right? So what what springs to my mind is actually from red markets. One of the rules that it's it's very set up of like theater of the mind forward. And one of the rules is basically, if you can shoot someone, if they have the same game, the same game, same gun, they can shoot you too. Like there's not, there's no physical way to draw straight lines that don't go both ways, right? Right. And, and it's kind of asserting and demonstrating those, those base values that are going to be there throughout, I think is really important to help communicate that, that tone and that idea. And it doesn't have to be just for like um, combat either. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are elements you can design into your game that will get the players and the GM to start describing things better. Um, so if you make it a requirement in your game, like when they go to an area, to tag it with adjectives that mm-hmm. might maybe have a mechanic effect. Um, later that that could be a strategy to get them to start like okay i know what this space feels like even though i don't see the space um definitely thinking like um monster of the week does something like that um where each uh location has um i think they just call them tags to be honest um yeah (laughs) that, that they that they have that that can happen or or uh contribute to the feel of of a space yeah, I, a friend of mine's designing a game that is very much about building dice pools. So you're always building a dice pool of four dice, no matter whether it's, it's it's a social thing, it's an intelligence thing, it's a combat thing. And the first three dice are always like, well, it's how good you are, plus any advantages, plus whatever. And the fourth dice is always determined by the storyteller of based upon your description. Mm-hmm. So it really encourages you to like, there is a distinct mechanical advantage for being engaged and plugged in and describing really effectively what you're doing and making sure it's grounded and plausible. Yeah. What about you, Craig? What are your thoughts on this? Um, I think uh, when it comes to the design stuff, there's a, there's a few different things that are kind of bouncing around my head. One is that you can develop mechanics in the game that, um, that introduce role play and narrative elements that don't necessarily have a mecha- another mechanical thing attached to them. Like I'm working on something right now where you're a computer program um, like Tron, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get a glitch and one of the, there's a bunch of different glitches that you can end up, end up with. And one of them is called the glows. You get a case of the glows and you're at, at, at its lowest level when the glitch is least bothersome, your character glows a little. Um, and uh, other than saying like, well, it's harder for you to hide 
<laughs> obviously. Like there's not a lot of mechanics attached to that. It's just a thing about your character that colors like how your character uh, is in the world and how others will interact with you and everything. And you just have to, you know, if you've got a character that's got a case of the glows, you just remind everybody every so often. It's like, well, we're, oh, we're in this dark room. No, we're not. We've got dim light <laughs> because <laughs> I am glitching right now. Um, <clears throat> and so it helps, it, it helps players to do things that will, you know, th that their characters bring to the story that are those kind of narrative things that just build the story out without having like a bunch of mechanics attached to it. Um, you know, your character, uh, your, your character could also have a, um, a scroll that allows them to cast a, ma a magical light spell, but um, that's a mechanic like you, that when that scroll is used, it's gone, right? Or you got something that a, a charged item or whatever, but you know, your character just glows all the time. <laughs> like it, it's not a big issue until you're in a, a darker space. Um, and one of the things too, is like, you could make, you can make the decision, uh, especially if you're new to designing, if you're just kind of getting a handle and you, you're, you're not sure what to do, you might consider just going with a genre that um, is sort of predisposed to taking advantage of theater of the mind sort of stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Tyler mentioned yeah. horror. Um, any Anything that gets moody, anything that is, any game style that is intended to elicit emotion, mm -hmm. um, that that's one of the uh, core uh, parts of the game. Um, whatever that emotion is, there's a lot of PBTA games out there um, that are built very much on like, you know, your, 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 your character's emotions are very important. And so you're going to be role-playing those emotions and you're going to be sub submersing yourself in there and, and reinforcing it. Like when, if your character is always, is if your character is sad because of some mechanical thing, um, you know, like you're going to play that character that way. And that's going to fill the room with your character sadness. And it's going to make people think about why your character sad and what that means and has, you know you you can't put sad on a map um you but you can you can portray it in the game and i think uh you know horror in particular and this is like i'm trying to think of what are what are other genres um that we can the, talk like about. this bit I, I, i'm having difficulty putting a name what the genre is but very much like the the heisty spycraft kind of thing so like your blades yeah. in the dark tension anything that's tension oriented yeah yeah um so you have mechanics that build tension um, and so even if you're not doing maps and minis and all that sort of thing, you're, there's always like, there's a ticking clock or there's like, you're, you're worried that something's going to happen. Yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Yeah. There's also a, um, and so this is definitely not a required mechanic because playing games without, but, but one that definitely can help is, is some way for the players to also plug into uh, uh, what, the area, what the area is, right? Whether it's they have a resource they can spend to be like, well, actually, there is a chandelier in this room. <laughs> Which, you know, again, it's not yeah. required and it's going to be very, very determined on the situation, but it also helps for games where you're trying to do stuff like get rid of t cumbersome equipment ideas <clears throat> where it's just like, well, you have that resource to spend. And then it becomes a little more of that side of it. Like I'm thinking you're... Pelgrim Press, Robin D. Laws. What is his the system called? Gumshoe. Gumshoe. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And any any system that allows the players to inject a narrative element helps to build the world, and it yeah. becomes like like you, well, you've got these points. I might as well spend them. Like why wouldn't mm -hmm. I use them for the thing that they're 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 intended for? And now everybody's, you know immersing like it's like every one of every time somebody spends something like that it's you're taking like one more step into the pool of immersion yeah. um 
and pretty soon you're going to be drowning in it. <laughs> also requiring within the rules of your game, a prompt that the player or the GM has to answer um, in order to make a move or to, to uh, like during character creation, for example, like, like you're doing uh let's say you're doing a, a weird ritual to summon an eldritch God. Um, and then ending, ending that, that rule prompt with a question, mm-hmm. um, what does this look like? Or, or, um, what comes out of the portal, like a- asking the player themselves, instead of dictating as the, as the designer of the game, this is what it looks like, mm-hmm. um, can help with that too. Like if you look at D and D, for example, a lot of the, um, the, the spell effects are there, they're written down for you. Um, that doesn't lend itself very well to, to describing it on your own, yeah. um, uh, but if you if you asked them instead, so you're you as the game designer are putting that in there instead of uh, leaving it up to the GM, um, you are giving that agency to the players, which in turn you know starts sparking their imagination. And the more that they are sparking their imagination, the better they can picture the world that they are in, with or without a map. Oh, totally. I also think that. And this, this, this is a term coming off the dome of, of this sense of, of unreal simulationist can really help. And what I mean there is like, you know, a lot of us who've done historical RPGs, whether it's your Call of Cthulhu or whatever, has met someone who wants you to say, when you're saying I am, I am using a heal role, they want you to be able to explain like what a field medic does. You're like, I, yeah. don't, I don't know. But at the, at the other end, I think you see this in some of the coolness stuff coming out right now, like phase anatomy jumps to mind as like the extreme where, where what it is, is it's like, when you make a role, you say what you're doing and no matter what you say, it just, it works. And I think that, that having stuff of like, oh, well, I, yeah, you have to describe like, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do computer hacking. And what I am doing is like, I go to this forum, I'm downloading these wares. Like even that little bit helps interject that simulation and move you away from you know, having to have it all on the table. And you, you uh, poked on something good there too. Like with those historical style games, a lot of people feel really uncomfortable. Like, Oh, we're playing in this very specific time period. We also talked about this a couple days ago too, on the, on the podcast or a couple weeks ago on the podcast, like as a GM putting in that description ahead of time, like, Hey, here are the main things that you're getting out of the mm-hmm. scenario read this you'll kind of understand the feel and from there have at you um making sure that you're you're providing enough detail um as the designer or hiring the writers to do that for you Mm -hmm. um, so they can imagine it themselves without having to worry about if they're getting it right or wrong yeah now i want to getting sparked by some of the things you're seeing here i want to design a game that's all about magic using people where the spells are described that the, the spell description always begins with a like there's always a somatic component to the spell like there's you're doing something and the spell description always tells you what you do hmm. um you know you you mind this action and screen you you know you, you draw a circle on the ground and blah 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 like and you not everybody will necessarily get into it but there will be people there will be tables there will be players who when like that's okay. That's what I do. They'll, they'll mine it out at the table. Like mm-hmm. this is me, this is me. And they'll add their own little flourishes and everything. And that again, also kind of you know, D and D does it. Sometimes it'll say like, you know, you, you know, you, you, 
inscribe a pentagram on a wall and blah 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 happens but it, it only does it for some of the spells where yeah. like i want to see a magic system in a game where literally every spell does exactly that because that game design then informs you this is how this magic works and your character has to do these things to make the magic work and if you're role playing the character out in like full actor mode if that's your if that's your jam then do it <laughs> you could even do it on a thing if it's like a like yeah that system is like you have to you're able to kind of shape spells based upon like they have these three components. So it's like, well, if a circle, it's like an area versus a triangle does this other thing with whatever word you're saying. And I had some interesting stuff onto it where you can play with that too. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, I do like yeah. that idea a one lot. More, one more stinking game idea. Uh, <laughs> add, it Come on, Craig. <laughs> add it to the pile. Add it to the pile. Um, I made an I, I literally made a note about this idea as a game, like just jotted uh, something uh, down. Mm. <laughs> Wizards I, have to use somatic components. Um <laughs> I'm thinking specifically of my favorite spell in DD, which is Tasha's hideous laughter, mm. where <laughs> the component is tiny tarts and a feather that is waved in the air. Now, I always assumed that the tiny tarts are used to evoke the laughter because you take the tiny tart and you hit it in someone's face. So every time I've ever cast that spell as a bard, I've always taken my little tiny tart and smashed it on the paladin's face. That's funny. You're going to laugh now. Um, but but it's not spelled out there for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I am... Um, I'm kind of tossed in that world of like, I really like all the details and I like when the game tells me what it's happening, but I also like telling the game what is happening instead. Um, or a game or a game, take, take the idea there and, and turn it around. The game doesn't define this specific somatic components, but you make it very clear in the, in the game that there always are somatic components mm -hmm. and they are personal to you and you should develop those. <laughs> and so you actually just like when your character learns this spell, you decide here's some things that, Kind of fit how magic kind of works in the world but you can take like tyler was talking about like different components and put them together like if you if you trace the if you trace a circle it always means one thing so you can yeah. incorporate tracing a circle you're, you're almost creating a vocabulary for you're how right. magic right. works exactly you're creating yeah. a grammar yes that's the word i'm looking for yep. um yeah oh, i mean gonna write been... that down <laughs> <laughs> there's a i have been have the moment where you think about your NDA. I have a game that I've been hired to work <laughs> on where we are doing something, it, it's very magically based. It's kind of like a modern day magic one. And that's that's one of the things we are working on is how do you how do you interact with, with magic and some of these different things that you said? Like it, it, it can be very specific and you kind of have to make sure that from from nose to tail, you're consistent in how specific things are, right? You can't all of a sudden have a spell in mage that's like, well, this is 30 feet and it does this much damage. Like it just, it doesn't fit everything else. And the, I have seen people all of a sudden have those interjections, intercessions from other games in a design every once in a while. And you're like, where'd that come from? Uh, yeah. Man magic casting so fun. magic casting <laughs> <laughs> no I'm thinking about it. like the game I'm working on is, is very magic heavy mm -hmm. so um, building up spells and and learning different things that you do with your spells um, but it's all you get to decide as a player what it looks like um, because it's all about building your character and your character's personality yeah. and your awesome. character's culture yeah I, I so I know I know I'm the guest but I, I kind of wanted to throw an idea 
in. I know we're kind of keeping half an eye on the oh, time. Absolutely not allowed. Okay. Well, it, it, so, so did you, have either of you ever played It's Powered by the Apocalypse? Oh my God. I just, I, I packed the Kickstarter. It was the one where you're all playing communities after an end of the world. Mm-hmm. And so you, 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 I could probably pull it up. <laughs> so you, you, each person is like a group after the world has ended. And instead of having, like, part of the game is you have to have a piece of paper in the center. And that's the map of the area you're all living in. So everyone's actually drawing on that and shaping it. And I was curious. Are you talking about a quiet year? No. Or the quiet year? No, I know. Quiet year is also phenomenal. And it had that similar. Yeah. They added that that, that mechanic to it, which I think they did group from there. Let's see if I could pull up my Kickstarter and way too many. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm going to scroll down through the 200 Kickstarters that I have backed. Yeah, right. It is. And scrolling and scrolling. <laughs> Vampford. Legacy Life Among the Ruins. Legacy okay. Life Among the Ruins. Yeah. So it, it is powered by the apocalypse, and you are shifting back and forth between kind of two different modes of play, where, like, the, the one mode is you are at this kind of omniscient spirit of your community level and you're deciding stuff and then you'll zoom into specific characters at times and there's kind of i think i I think that there's this where does that fall in 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 theater of the mind for you two of you i mean i think that that is still like if you're drawing things on a map i don't think that that discounts it as theater Mm -hmm. of the mind i mean for me I mean, it's it's always this this scale. It's it's a gradient. It's it's a spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> it's not black or white. It's not one or the other. Um, you're still, you know, you're still using a lot of your imagination with that. Was that? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're if you're developing communities that are, they're all very different. They have different feels. Like you know, I I could see players very much getting into like if you're if your community is is struggling you know and you're describing how much it's struggling and it's it's you know in describing that you know the community is is, the buildings are in ruins and people are unhealthy you know there's there's a lot of sickness and whatnot like that'll put you in a different mode and you know make you imagine different things than if somebody's describing a community that's at war Mm -hmm. and that's going to have a very different feel yeah in a game like that, where you can have the, all these different communities doing very different things, you could elicit a lot of different feels. That could be a, a like a really simultaneously uplifting and also gut wrenching experience you know, in, the right, <laughs> in the right kind of situation with the right combinations. Like you could you could experience quite the gamut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just overall. Um, I mean, at, at some point on, or another in a game, you're going, even if you're doing a LARP and yeah. you're like acting it out, you're going to be using theater of the mind in one way or another, mm-hmm. um, regardless of what game you're playing. Um, it, as long as you're not completely abstracting the, the role play from the, the rules, so like I'm thinking like, uh, Axis and allies kind of game where like the the game <laughs> is the maps and the minis like that's yeah. obviously not theater of mind or anything 
Um, but as soon as you bring any kind of role playing into it, you are, you know, you're, you're starting to use your imagination and uh, the more, the more tools you can give your players or the GM, the people who are, who are running your game or the players who are playing the game that you are running uh, the, the better immersive experience that will be, I think, I think everybody likes the, to feel immersed. Um, and that just requires a lot of, uh, you know, having fun with your brain, making the pictures go, making the pictures go. So, so as, as a final piece of advice from Jess to designers out there, if you're going for this, uh, have fun with your brain. Yeah. (laughs) Like, just think about what would be fun for me to experience. Um, you know, inside my brain, in my imagination. Um, and you can find ways to develop, in, you know, in, incorporate that into like how you describe the game, how you describe how the game is played, how you describe how the GM handles things, mm-hmm. what the players do, what the, you know, what the mechanics are like. You can, you can put it in there all over the place. I mean, I've, I've got in good, strong hands, um, there are a number of, of uh, talents that characters can get a hold of that are things like you know it says narrate what narrate your actions to and then you gain a bonus and you do this like so it becomes like this thing that your character actually kind of narrates it because they're kind of with that character they're kind of full of themselves and they're talking about like you know you talk about yourself in the third person and that sort of thing um like you know when the fawn does their their great performance like it says perform um um and i've run games where you know the the person playing the fawn like made up a song on the spot (laughs) Um, and that gives you a, a very different feel to everything rather than somebody just saying, well, I, 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 I sing this song and then I get this mechanical bonus. I sing and I can dance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, if I play a bard, I will always make a song. I will, if, if there's an opportunity <laughs> for me, I will, I will do yeah. it. Gotta, <laughs> That's the rules. Uh, well, this has been a lot of fun and I, I've, I've had fun with my brain today. Uh, tyler thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me where yeah no no finish what i was gonna say i mean i have a super fun topic i know you sent me the list and i was just like oh some of these are really intimidating and i was like (laughs) there's one that i was like oh god please not i cannot speak to that to anything so i'm glad yeah (laughs) glad i got to come on and talk about this one yeah, where, where can we find you and your stuff? Uh, I mean, just go to Twitter right now. It is at Tyler underscore ROI. That is the best place to find me right now. My like, I'm rebuilding my portfolio website and I am back to freelancing full time. So I don't have my own publishing house or anything. So, yeah. Uh, you can find me at, at Joska or at my new books page, havefunwithyourbrain.com. Uh, it's uh, the new book I'm going to write. Uh, no, uh, you can find me at wannabegames.com or my stuff on DriveThruRPG. And you can find me at NerdBurgerGame, uh, sorry, NerdBurgerCraig.com. Sorry, geez. At NerdBurgerCraig, <laughs> at NerdBurgerCraig on Twitter, NerdBurgerGames.com, and the games are at DriveThruRPG.com. Um, if you're following me on Twitter, it's possible by the time this comes out that signups are up for NerdBurgerCon online. Um, if they're not, uh, they should be up uh, very shortly. Um, and that's on October 16th and 17th. We're going to uh, we're going to play a bunch of role playing games online. Yeah, have, have play some games. Have fun with sign your up brain. for that. Yes, <laughs> sign have up for that. Have fun with your brain.com is available for sale. <laughs> Find it right now to scoop you. Oh no. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, um, I guess next time I will be in a war with Tyler over this uh <laughs> yeah, this we're website. Now, uh, litigation will begin. Mm-hmm. 
So I look forward to hearing more about that. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody, it's Jess again. I just wanted to make sure that I'm giving proper credit to the song that we used in our opening and closing. That was Avil by Steph Sachs, which was licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks, Steph Sachs.